Jack, he's an avid golf player, right? And Pastor Jack, every time that the weather is beautiful, you cannot find him doing anything but playing golf. So one Sunday, perfect weather. Pastor Jack is like deliberating. I mean, like when I tell you this, this is one weakness, it's his weakness. So Pastor Jack is looking at the weather and he's like, my gosh, it's too pretty outside. 77 degrees, the wind is blowing, and he is just feeling the call in his blood. He's got to go golfing. So giving in, giving in to his flesh, he decides, I'm going to call the assistant pastor. So he calls up. I don't know the assistant pastor's name. And he said, hey, he said, I'm just not feeling real good today. I just, I need one of you all to step in. I just, I can't make it in. Pastor Jack decides that he's going to give into his flesh and he goes down the road like three hours outside of his city where no one knows him. Well, the angel that was assigned to Jack is watching Jack and he's really like disturbed now. He's like really like upset with Jack. He's like, man, that is just so wrong. How are you going to lie and call out? And he went to God and he said, Father, he said, you see what Jack's doing? It's wrong. He needs some discipline. And God, you know, nodded at the angel and said, I agree. So he went out there to the field, and he gets ready. He tees up. He hits that ball, and the first ball goes 350 yards right in the hole. First ball. The angel looks at God, and he said, Father, I thought you were going to discipline him. He said, I just did. He said, who's he going to call and tell? (laughs) There you go. All right, so just a little bit of humor. Um, Cease, I just know you're awake. That's why I did that. So uh, this evening we're going to be talking about character. Um, One of the things that God laid on my heart, even coming into this new year, was character, especially, you know, where I am um, at home with my husband, with my children, here in ministry, at church, with my friends, with my family. So I always believe, you know, we never use the word of God to just spank anyone with it. It always comes to us first. So I'm thinking, God, I'm honest and I'm kind. Yeah, and then I start going down the fruit of the Spirit, and then you'll hear where we land with this. So, the measure of a man's real character, and when I say he, when we talk in the Scripture, it's synonymous for men and women. So we're not picking on men, we're not picking on women, it's for both. So the measure of a man's real character is what he would do if he knew that he would never be found out. And that's a quote from Thomas Macaulay. So as a fine diamond's worth and merit is measured by its clarity, And gold, the excellence of gold is proven by its purity. The excellence of a man's or woman's character is ultimate, or the excellence of a man or woman is ultimately measured by his or her character. We describe those with good character traits as having um, high standards in life, tenacity, you know, intestinal fortitude, um, strength, vigor, honesty, charity, integrity. All of those words are words that we use to describe people that in our esteem seems to be people of character. Um, These are just a few of the descriptions that come to mind, and I'm sure that you can come up with with many more than that. We often describe those um, that lack those character traits uh, that would, you know, as people that are dishonest, might be unscrupulous in their business transactions with others, those that are self-seeking, selfish, disloyal, foolish, gossipy, braggadocious people, I'm cynical, you know, the one-uppers, and so on and so on for negative character traits. We all have an inward desire that God's placed in us to be loved, to be accepted, to be thought well of. But much like the diamond test, a person's character um, 
it undergoes the same type of scrutiny, you know, where God's looking for, for purity in us. He's, he's looking for excellence in us, not only by God, but also by men. So we are always being measured, whether we like to admit it or not, whether we know it or not, somebody's always measuring us. And God happens to be one of those people. He loves us, but who know, you know, do you realize that he wants us to go higher? I mean, I think so. Um, God deeply cares about our character. Ephesians 4.24, the message paraphrase. And then take on, so this is Paul talking to the church. He says, take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into our conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you, in me. So the three points that I'm going to cover this evening are we are ambassadors for Christ. These are three things. And you can find hundreds of, I mean, I could have went every which way with this teaching tonight, but this is what the Holy Spirit laid on my heart to share with you all. We are ambassadors for Christ is point one. Point two is that we live from the inside out. And three is that character determines ultimately our destiny in life. So character defined, and these are several different, you know, definitions that I found in many different dictionaries as I was researching this topic. It is the mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual, strength and originality um, in a person's nature, and simply a person's good reputation. So our true character can almost always be determined by what we do when we think no one is looking or when life brings pressure to us. Scriptures gives us countless examples of people with good character and people with bad character. We know from the Bible that God is 100% concerned with our character because of these stories that were written in there for our admonition and for our growth in God. Um, The Bible is filled with instructions on how we are to live and how we are to conduct our lives in this world. The first example of a fallen man with fallen character, failed character, is Adam. And Romans 5.12 in the Amplified um, Bible teaches us that therefore as sin came into the world through one man, through Adam, and death as the result of sin, so death has spread to all men. No one is being able to stop it or escape it, um, escape the power of death because all men, because of Adam and because of us being his seed, have been born into sin. We have all sinned simply by being born. Adam's sin was disobedience and it was pride. He did not submit himself to God. Perhaps one of his most um, important character traits, perhaps one of the most important character traits that we as men and women um, of God as young people can develop in our lives is that of humility. It is submission and obedience to God's word in our life. Since Adam's sin, God has been trying to redirect the human heart back to him. Um, so a faulty character, a faulty character will always produce sin in our lives. It's not that we wake up thinking, okay, I'm going to sin today, but our character will produce sin if it's left unchecked and undeveloped in our lives. So point one is we are ambassadors of Christ. And I will read these scriptures because I love these scriptures. Um, Philippians 2.5 in the Amplified, let the same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let him be our example of humility. And in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul speaks to believers, encouraging them to live not in their old lifestyles, but to live as children of God. Philippians 2, 14, verse 
through 15 in the message paraphrase tells us to go into all or into the world uncorrupted. So we are to go into the world and be uncorrupted in our character. Um, a breath of fresh air in this squalid. So the word squal- squalid is like foul, polluted, um, despicable, uh, things that is just scornful. Okay, so he's telling us we're a breath of fresh air in a scornful polluted um, society. Provide people with a glimpse of what good living and of, of the living God. Provide them with something that they know that they're missing. Um, carry the light-giving message into the night so that Paul, this is Paul speaking to the church. So it would be like us pastors speaking to the church that we lead um, so that we'll have a good cause to be proud of you on the day that Christ returns. Because the Bible says that we, as, as pastors, as ministers of God's word, so, you know, the staff team for the past, Pastor Mitch, myself, Cameron, David, Joshua, um, as we bring the word of God to you, our focus is to equip you for the work of the ministry, and it is to present you as mature believers before the Lord. So we humbly present these teachings to you so that we can all, you know, we're all in progress. We're all working and going in this way together so that we will be a living proof um, and that we haven't done all of this work in vain. So we are representing God and the kingdom to a lost and to the dying world. Um, we are to live our lives according to the word of God, not according to the way that an unbeliever would live, not according to the dictates of this culture. We are not to live as cheaters, as squanderers, as liars, murderers, adulterers, not like those who live as doing wrong as though it was right in society. So James 4, 4 teaches us that you... This is what James is speaking again to the church. He said, we're like unfaithful wives flirting with the glamour of this world and never realizing that to be the world's lover means becoming enemies of God and that anyone who deliberately chooses to love the world is thereby making himself or herself an enemy of God. Do you want to be an enemy of God? I don't want to be an enemy of God. Um, We are to live higher. We are to take the higher road at all times as God's very own representatives. In a world where others may say honesty is the best policy, we as Christians should say honesty is the only policy. When somebody tells me, hey, Mira, honesty is my best policy, you are a person that I cannot trust. Because if you've got a best policy, that means you've got a slightly lower policy than honesty. Honesty is the only policy in life. Um, in a world that says, you know, and I've heard this a lot. I've heard this from men and women alike. You know, God wouldn't have placed me in such a wonderful garden if he didn't expect me to just stop and smell the roses. We say that we have cut a covenant with our eyes that we would not look at any other, if we're married, um, to our spouses, and if we're single, to the Lord. So we're covenant people. And these are, these are the makings of godly character in our lives. Um, in a world that teaches minimum wage, minimum effort, you see this one right here is my pet peeve. Um, we say that I do everything as unto the Lord. I work heartily as to Jesus, as if he were my CEO and my boss. My mom is here. Um, mom is always here, right here. And she was my first boss. And what a work ethic that she placed in me. You know, um, what she did teach me was because she paid me $6.25 an hour to train some of her managers. I'll just tell on you, Gita. Um, <laughs> but what she did teach me is that there were days that she would walk into the restaurant. And, you know, I started, Mom has just, she has just been an excellent worker. And she instilled that in, into myself, my brother, and my sister, and two or three kids because she raised us as a single mom. Um, but I would look for things to do. 
It didn't mean because I made $6.25 an hour that I was only there to, to flip a hot dog or serve some french fries. It means that I went above and beyond. So when the world says that we, you know, this is the way that it is, godly character produces something much greater inside of us. And, you know, and Paul admonishes us. So the word admonishes, like he strongly encourages us to think on this. Philippians 4, 8, and I, I taught my kids this when they were in children's church, the whatever verse in the Bible. Um, in the Amplified, it says, For the rest, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of reverence, whatever is honorable and seemingly, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and is lovable, whatever is kind and winsome and gracious, if there be any virtue and any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, beloved, think on and weigh and take into account these things. Fix your mind on things that are good. Because out of a good mind, good results or, or good things are produced from us. Um, and, when, and then we're not only encouraged to even think about it, we're encouraged to put it into practice. Practice what you have learned and received and heard and seen. This is Paul talking in Paul. He's telling the church this. And model your way of living on it. And the God of peace, of untroubled, undisturbed well-being will be with you. So two, living from the inside out. Our outward character is always going to be a reflection of what our inward motives are. Our outward character will always be a reflection of what the inward motive of the heart is. Character traits include virtues such as humility, integrity, honesty, self-control. I'm still learning this. This is what the Lord has been dealing with me on is self-control, honor, and wisdom. Story of Lance Armstrong. This is perhaps in um, my, you know, leadership. I study a lot of stuff on leadership, and one of the this is one of the stories that have personally affected my life. And I'm getting ready to share that with you. Um, Lance Armstrong beca- he began competing as a triathlete at the age of 16 years old. He was a national sprint course triathlon champion in 1989 and in 1990. In 1996, Lance was, he was um, diagnosed with testicular cancer. Um, after hitting the world championship as a cyclist, you know, he's going through this, he's having to hear this diagnosis, and he's having to deal with real-life stuff here. Um, he was the Tour de France champion seven times. And after treatment for cancer, Lance recovered, and later he founded the Lance Armstrong Foundation. Um, this is treat, you know, where they offer treatment and aid to cancer victims or cancer patients. Even after those grueling cancer treatments, he went on strong, which in turn raised many speculations. You know, when you're given a platform, remember all eyes are on you. So if you're in a place of leadership, um, you're wanting that promotion, you're wanting to be manager, whatever it is, there's always someone that's following you. And sometimes we raise speculations as leaders. Um, and here's what he said. So for much of his career, he faced allegations of using performance-enhancing drugs. In 2005, Lance made this statement. He said, if you consider my situation, a guy who comes back from arguably, you know, a death sentence, this is um, about his diagnosis, his treatment. He said, why would I then enter into a sport and dope myself up and may, um, risk my life again? He said, that's crazy. I would never do something like that. No, no way. Sounds reasonable, um, but there, you know, was there any truth? So when you're re- you heard about the allegations, I'm sure some of you have, you know, w- were there any truth to it? These allegations were made as he was one of the only cyclists that can ascend to the Alps with just ease. Um, Lance stated that, among other things, it would make no sense for me to dope, to dope up 
since I lived in France for most of that year. And France has one of the strictest anti-doping policy. So he's saying, you know, I live by the law. I'm law-abiding. These, allegation, these allegations, they went on over a decade. And at one point, all allegations were dropped. So the federal government um, issued, you know, an investigation into Lance Armstrong. And it was the federal government, so they were tricky. Let me, I'll get into that for a minute um, with you. Um, but they dropped the allegations. But then many of the cycling or the cyclists of the U.S. Postal Pro Cycling Team, which is where Armstrong belonged to, um, were coming out and confessing. So his colleagues, his friends, his acquaintances. So he continued to deny all of these allegations. In February of 2012, federal prosecutors decided to stop the investigation. They dropped all charges against him. Now, in doing that, what they had hoped to happen did happen. So the prosecuting attorneys, the counsel that was there, they were tricking the U.S. ADA, um, the U.S., it's a, uh, oh my gosh, anti-doping agency. They were trying to get them to open up an investigation of their own because they have their own uh, whatever you use in legal term, I'm not an attorney, but they have their own agencies that does investigations. So this investigation uh, came back open. So Lance was, he was just relieved that the investigation stopped. Come 2012, October of 2012, the fall, from February to fall, he is like living like, okay, they stopped all their lies. They stopped their witch hunt. I can't defend myself against it. So in October of 2012, the investigation opens back up. December of 2012, behind closed doors, he agreed to whatever um, they asked him to agree to, thereby giving up every single title that he had worked for. Every title. He admitted, you know, what he did was wrong. He admitted that he lied on the Oprah Winfrey show in January of 2013. He confessed that all the allegations were true. So here's what it cost him. You see, because a lot of times, you know, and me, when I'm reading this story, when I started researching, when I found out about it, uh, I cannot remember who was talking about it, but it grabbed my attention. And as I put my heart to research it, I was like, Lord, where were his friends at? Where were his true friends? God, who was he accountable to? Who in his circle was able to ask him the hard questions? Hey, Lance, what you doing? Hey, Lance, you doing anything different that you're not supposed to be doing? Where was the accountability in his life? You see, because as long as you don't have accountability in your life, remember, character is often always determined in what you do in secret when you think no one's looking. He had no one to hold him accountable. The man lost his marriage. He, his family was split up. The Lance Armstrong Foundation, which would have been a great legacy to have been passed down to his children, to everyone coming after him, they stripped him of that too because you know what? The leaders on, in, that, um, in that foundation, they said, we don't need to be associated with him. He'll drag us down. So they changed it to the Live Strong Foundation that you know today, which continues to help. So you see, so oftentimes we may think that we're doing one thing and nobody would ever find out, but the evidence never lies. The fruit, the Bible says we know them by the fruit that they bear. The fruit never lies. And his fruit, when they tested his blood, they found everything that they were looking for. So they took him. Now he cannot compete like he was. And he's, he's come back in a different way. But the, lo the thing that he loved to do is not what he's doing. He's running a coffee shop now, and I think he's also an investor. So he's doing okay. 
But the thing that he was, at 16 years old, this man started winning cycling like he was doing. I mean, what, his kids had something so great to look up to. And he lost it all because of a bad decision that he made. And in turn, he lied and lied more and lied more to cover it up. Could his wife ever trust him again? Could his children ever trust his word again? You see, because if we lie once, we're going to lie again to cover it up. And it just keeps getting deeper and deeper. So Proverbs 11.3 Amplified says, The integrity and moral courage of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. I didn't say that. God's word said that. Proverbs 10.9, the Passion Translation, The one who walks in integrity will experience a fearless confidence in life, but the one who is devious will eventually be exposed. You see, our fruit never lies. The evidence can stack up against us, and there's no way for us to escape the end result of that evidence. Amen? Um, Proverbs 21.2 says, All a man's way seems right in his, you know, to him, but the Lord is the one that weighs our hearts. So we may think we're doing what is right and what we deserve to do. Let me tell you guys something. The worst thing someone could ever say to you if you're doing bad, just be you. That's the worst advice somebody can give you. If you're bad, say, stop being bad. You know, love your friends and your family enough to say, you know what, that attitude stinks. Stop, get over it. Don't tell someone they need to continue being their bad self. You're not a true friend. You're not operating out of love. Amen? So 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and he will expose the motives of men's heart. I know that my motives will always come out because my fruit will not lie. Okay, um, I, I can't say it any better than Galatians 5, 23 and 22 to 23 in the Amplified, but the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the work which his presence within, within us it accomplishes is love, joy. Joy is gladness. I like how the Amplified, the Amplified Bible breaks down the word. Um, peace, patience, and ever temp, and even temper, forbearance. That's, I'm, God's working on me. Kindness, goodness, benevolence, faithfulness, gentleness, meekness, humility, self-control, self-restraint, continence against such thing, things. There, there is no law um, that can bring a charge. No charges can be brought against us if these things are developed in us. So no charges, no. Um, and if you don't have God's word in you, you stand a chance of falling. And there is simply too much at stake. Um, Taylor, do you have that video clip ready? This is a good place to insert that. Hang with me for a couple minutes and let's watch this. Entertainment business. Let me tell you something about the entertainment business. It just pulls you in. You don't I've need the lights cut? I've never done drugs. I've never done anything like that. I will say that there's a lot of things. Well, the, to make a long story short, um, I kind of fell in that depths of that, that garbage for a while. And then about two years ago, I rededicated my life. And uh, yeah. I got to tell you, this is, this is always rough for me to talk about because I love Jesus so much and I just I feel I didn't want to do this tonight but I just feel horrible about some of the things that I've done and unlike other people everything that I did and said is on tape for everybody to see I'm proud 
I'm proud of some things that I've done. I've had an awesome career. I've done some amazing things. But there's things that I've done on stage now that I'm back in the fold and I'm back with my Savior. There's things that I look back on and I wish I wouldn't have done it. And men don't forgive you. And I don't care if men forgive me or Jesus forgives me. You know what I mean? Thanks for indulging me with that. Um, remember what I just said. There's just simply too much at stake. Because we don't think that our decisions can have anything to do with the future. But he just said it's on tape forever. So when his kids who are now like five and six, when they grow up, what is it that they're going to find that their daddy has said and done? And how will that mold them? See, we can do all the work ahead of time, but we, we never stop. Sin just lasts for, or pleasure just lasts for a moment. But then we wake up the next day, right? So our character needs to be developed. Um, we are only as good as our word. Our word is our bond. Be honest with people. There's no room for deception. Watch. Watch the company that you keep. Remember Armstrong? Where were his friends? They were all admitting to and confessing that they were on dope. Where were his friends? Who did he surround his life with? Were they just as, I mean, they were just as happy to go down as he was? None of them are cycling anymore. Watch your company. Um, don't long for what someone else have. Uh, work hard and be disciplined in your life. You know, and this speaks to me. I'm like, God, you know, help me to be disciplined. Um, help me to show self-restraint, you know, in my emotions, God. Because I want to live right. I want to live for Christ. And I want to be an example to others. You know, we give, give a man. And this is something that the Lord showed me, I think, probably earlier on this year, coming into the first of the year. Give a man or a woman position or power. Access um, to all the money that they want. Access to all the sex that they want. And you will see what that person is made up of. So are you ready for success? Are you ready for promotion? Are you ready for money? Can you handle it? Because if you can't handle it with a little bit, you will never be able to stand when much comes. Amen? So Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep and guard your heart with all vigilance, and above all else guard uh, that you guard, for out of it, out of your heart, flows the issues, flows the spring of life. James 1, verses 13 through 16, J.B. Phillips' translation, A man must not say that when he's tempting or tempted that God is tempting me. For God has no dealings with evil and does not himself tempt anyone. No, a man's temptation is due to the pull of his own inward desire. Hear that again. Our temptations are due to the pull of our own inward desires, which can be enormously attractive in that moment. Um, our own desires can take a hold of us, and when it does, it produces sin in our lives. And sin in the long run means death. Make no mistake about that, um, brothers and sisters of mine. Haven't we all seen how these things that I've mentioned, you know, just a minute ago can corrupt us and others? It can. Where, you know, and again, where did Lance have the accountability that he so desperately needed so his life would not have continued down that road? Um, when we fail to live from the inside out with the word of God as our standard, we will fall. We will fall. We become like politicians saying anything to get the vote and never being able to fulfill our commitments in life. We become negligent when we are given opportunities when no, where no one is watching, like cheating our employers of time and resources. 
Don't be that person. Be honest. If you don't have enough to do and you're getting paid a whole lot of money, go tell them, I want more responsibilities. That's how promotion comes. But don't sit there and play games and look at the internet and cheat your boss of their time. At 5.45, you shouldn't be tying your shoelaces. And at 5.55, you shouldn't be going to have a pee on your company's watch. Work up to the hour and work and get it done. Do whatever is necessary and get your work done. Be a person of character. Have a good, strong um, work ethic. You know, uh, if you don't have, ask. All right? Ask for more responsibilities. Don't be lazy. One, compromise at work with a member of the opposite sex. Having conversations with women. You know, for women, if a guy tells you, hey, you smell good, well, the only one should be telling you you smell good is your man. Don't wear the perfume just for him to smell. Man, guard yourselves. Don't be telling her she smells good. She's not your wife. She has that wedding ring on her finger. Respect her. Those are character issues. You know, Sean Tracy, he's not here. He's in Spain tonight, and Sean is on our staff. Um, Sean, is, when I worked in corporate, Sean was an example to me. And here's what he said, you know, because I was in a small prayer group with him, and I've always said I've fallen in love with Sean first before his wife because of his character. He had that, he was a big brother to me in God, and he, you know, because of his walk was why I came here to victory. But I remember Sean, there was one girl at work that, that liked him, and I told her, I said, listen, I said, he is married, and he loves his wife. His wife is here, and she knows this story. Um, and I chastised her for that because I was supposed to. I was her Christian sister. We were in Bible study together. And here she invited us, you know, all to go out to eat. And here's what Sean said. Guys, take this as an example. He said, I don't ride with any other woman in the car if my wife is not there. I was like, Sean told And I was like, hey, that's a good thing. So I don't do that. You know, if we all go, if the staff goes out, we're all mixed up and everything. You know, I'll never ride in pastor's truck with him by myself. That's craziness. I'm not, no. Never let your good be evil spoken of. Protect your character. Um, Paul puts it this way. He said, yes, I'm, fully, I'm full of myself. After all, I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way, but then I act another. I do things um, I absolutely despise. So if I can't be trusted to figure out what is best for myself and then do it, it becomes obvious that God's command is necessary in my life. But I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need the help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. And I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but then I really don't do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in action. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in this delight. Um, parts of me covertly rebels, so our flesh rebels. And just when I least expect it, it takes charge. Um, I've tried everything, but nothing helps. I'm at the end of my ropes. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question that I should be asking myself? He's looking for someone to throw, throw him a lifeline. He's looking for something. We do have hope, you see, because God desires that we rule our flesh and not to allow sin to have dominion over us. In fact, the scripture teaches us that we have a moral obligation as Christians to live above the demands of our flesh. This is where the Holy Spirit breathes his life and he helps us. Okay, and the scripture Romans 8 
um, in message it says, uh, but if God himself has taken up residence in our life, you can hardly be thinking more of yourself than of him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed this invisible but clearly present God, the Spirit of Christ won't know what we're talking about. But for you who welcome him in whom he dwells, and you and I, because we've welcomed Jesus, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, because we're, we're in this flesh, we're contending with it, you yourself experience life on God's terms. We experience life on God's terms, and that's a great statement. Look up that scripture when you go home. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves in our lives, he'll do the same thing in you and I that he did in Christ Jesus, bringing us alive to himself. Um, When God lives and breathes in us, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, We are delivered from that dead life with the spirit living in us. Our bodies will also be alive as Christ was. God has given us everything necessary before the foundations of the world was laid. He has put everything inside of us to live um, with godliness and life. He has. He's made us to rule as kings. So our character shouldn't get the best of us. We should take what God's put inside of us and allow it to dominate and have dominion. So three, point three on here, and um, our character determines our destiny. So like the example of Lance Armstrong, um, a poor character choice, a compromised character, can lead to a loss of legacy or cause others to fall and even lose their lives. So this is perhaps one of um, the greatest examples that I can see in Scripture. So Saul was appointed as the first king of God's people. What an honor, what a privilege. He had all of the outward appearance as kings, and people said, Saul is handsome head and shoulders above the others. So he stood, I mean, you could see him coming before anybody else, right? In his early reign, he was admired, um, he was strong, he was courageous, he was generous with the people, he made good decisions, but sometime shortly after that, Saul decided that he knew what was best. He allowed his pride to get in his way and became disobedient to God. God withdrew his favor from Saul and Saul became unwise, he became jealous, He acted out of impulse. He made rash decisions. He lied. He attempted to commit murder. He distrusted people. See what happens when your character is getting shady? You get crazy. He distrusted God. Later, his actions and failure to rely on God not only cost him his kingship, it cost Saul, his house, his sons, his dynasty, his legacy. Um, He committed suicide. He acted cowardly. He threw himself on a sword. You can read it in the Bible. Um, what he left behind was shame for his family and fear. I mean, they, you know, who wants to feel like their family, their dad's a coward? I don't want to think that way. Um, he could not even leave a good name for his family. It's like the house of Saul was like a cursed thing. Um, Saul, I'll, I'll submit this to you, he was double-minded. Sane one minute and he was nuts the other. Remember that a double-minded man, the Bible says, is unstable in all of his ways. If I look at Bo and I say, hey, I love you. I'm here for you. I got you. And he turns his back and I'm going like all of this. I'm double-minded. That's not character, right? So I got to question myself. Who am I? Am I the same that you see here? Or am I different when I walk away from here? You know, David in the face, and I love I love the study of David in the word of God. David, in the face of Saul's craziness, David remained loyal. He remained stable. He remained dependable. Saul called and David responded. David remained loyal to Saul. He did not deride the king. 
He didn't try to get um, the king oosted from his position. He didn't gossip about King Saul. He didn't. He didn't act one way in front of him and turn around and acted another way in front of the people. He remained true to character. And you know, and out of everyone in the Bible, what did God say about David? He was a man after his own heart. So there's something about God that is not double-minded, that is very, very loyal. And loyalty is a good, it is a good character trait to develop if you don't have that. Um, Proverbs 3 teaches us that never let loyalty, and I told Anne today, this is one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible, because I really, I, I just have asked the Lord to make me this way. Um, never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. This is not in my notes, Taylor. Tie them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And then here's what you'll find if you're loyal and faithful. You will find favor and high regard in the sight of God and man. Does character matter? It does. You will have favor. So if some of y'all are struggling in your workplaces and you're wanting that promotion, you can't get that promotion, check your loyalty, check your faithfulness. Go back to the word and say, God, is there something that you got to work out inside of me? And Holy Spirit will show you. So a good man leaves an inheritance um, to his children's children, to generations to come. So the Shema in the Jewish culture, um, this is a recitation that morning and night the Jews are taught and commanded to teach their children and to speak this out. And it goes like this. Hear, Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. God is not double-minded. He's not schizophrenic. He's not up one moment and down the other. Um, he is everything that is stable. He is everything that is constant. His attitude never changes. He says, I am the same God yesterday, today, and forever. So if he is telling us and he gives us permission, he said children as well-pleasing to God, be like me. Christ tells us that. Then we, got, we, that we have some work to do. Um, there is no lie in God. In fact, uh, the father of all liars is Satan. Don't lie. I didn't say that. It's in the Bible. Don't lie. If you've lied, um, if you've exaggerated truth, if you've deceived people, repent. An exaggerated truth is a lie. Don't say that you caught a fish like this when it was just a little minnow that you got in your nets. All right? Don't try to one-up anybody. Those are all issues with character. Um, be stable, be of one mind, both behind closed doors and out in public, both within the walls of the church building and outside it, around church people and around unsaved people. Be the same. Live as though you were standing in the presence of God. Live as though at any moment you will be in his presence. Consider that in every thought and action, every word that um, we speak and every motive that we have, that Christ is in you. He hears us. He sees all things. He doesn't leave the room and come back when we're done behaving badly. Hear me again. He doesn't leave the room when we behave badly and then come back when all the, the mess is gone. He is there. He sees everything I see. He hears everything I hear. He listens to, you know, everything that I listen to. Everywhere I go, Holy Spirit's inside of me. He doesn't leave me. He never leaves me or forsake me. So what we do, we shouldn't have a private world and an outside world. We should be the same all the time, all the time. So Jesus said, if you've heard Jesus, that you've seen Father. And he said, and, um, you know, uh, can people say when they look at us? I mean, this is me every day. God, can they see that I have been with you? Can, can the staff that I, I spend more time with them than I do my family? God, do they see your heart? 
When I open my mouth to speak, when I put my hands to the plow, God, do they see you? Because if they don't see you, I've got too much of mirror that's still living. Amen? The Bible says that we ought to be dead in Christ. So Jesus said um, to be like him, model after him. Um, and I wrote this on here. You know, we have, I used to hear this as a child, do as I say, not as I do. That ain't so. <laughs> don't say and, and not do, don't tell them that. Don't tell your kids that because it's actually the reverse. Children do what they see you do. They believe what you do. They don't believe what you say because they learn that young in life. Others are not going to believe what you tell them. They're going to believe what you do. Are you constant? So some things to consider, and I'm wrapping really quick now. Um, We must learn to recognize that in every action of ours, every action, beloved, every action, every thought, every word, it writes a sentence into our life's story. Hear that again. Every action, every thought, every word will write an action into our life story. What sentences, what sentences are you leaving in your life? What are the sentences? You know, and I've got some questions. I don't know if they've got it up there. Um, What are your values and your principles? If your life were on trial and your friends and family were to swear an oath attesting to your character, what would they say? Would someone's testimony Um, of you be able to convince a jury that you're guilty of good moral character? Can they convince a jury that we're guilty of being a good moral citizen? Um, Would you agree with them? Do we have areas in our lives um, that we need to work on that needs to be upright? And would we be afraid for someone to be a fly on our wall? So here's a funny, and I'll leave you with this. It's a quote um, from Will Rogers. He's a humorist. He said, live your life in such a way that when you die, they can give your pet parrot to the town gossip. They'll shut the gossip out. Amen?